good customers kept coming back, right? We were able to, you might say, climb the ladder into better and better customers. Every leader faces challenges on a daily basis. And the way we navigate those challenges can make a deep and lasting impact for time and eternity. We're helping leaders discover practical tools based on biblical principles and helping you create like-minded communities who will walk with you as you lead your organization to health. Welcome to the Healthy Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Healthy Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Peter Hartzell. Very pleased to be with you today. And today's episode is an exciting and very special episode. If this is the only episode that you ever listen to, our hope is that you get a pretty clear idea about what the Healthy Leaders organization is all about. Uh, what is Phil Cohen all about? You know, we're going to talk through Phil's story uh, from early years through the starting of Cohen Architectural Woodworking and now into this Healthy Leaders organization. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of content. It's going to be a rich uh, podcast. So uh, grab a cup of coffee, grab a notepad if you want. Uh, again, I'm just going to give you the website up front before I set Phil loose for the next little bit here. Healthy-leaders.org. If you go to healthy-leaders.org, you can read a lot more about uh, what we do. Uh, there's a place to contact us uh, directly and so forth. So Phil, let's dive in today. Let's talk through your story. I guess let's just start at the beginning. Well, hello to everyone out there who's listening. I Perhaps God has a purpose that you're listening to this right now. And today is July 4th, Independence Day 2022. And I'm sitting on my back enclosed porch. It's a beautiful day. Uh, as of today, I'm about 72 and three-quarter years old, and looking back on my life, and I want to tell you a story, the story of my life, just the brief story, try to give you enough details so that you can understand. And the hope of this story is that you can see that you can do this too. And there's many things in my life that I haven't achieved that I wish I could have, but one thing that I have been able to achieve is to be able to truly bring Christ, the Bible, and prayer into the workplace. So I'm going to start back, just give a brief overview of my childhood. It, uh, it's another podcast, but I grew up, I was born in 1949, right after World War II, and I went to, in a Jewish home, I was surrounded by people who had been in Holocaust or had lost loved ones in the Holocaust, and also in a world that hated Jewish people. I grew up in violent neighborhoods, gangs and murders, and uh, I also grew up in a violent home where my father abused me. My earliest childhood memories are waking up at the middle of the night and hearing my mother screaming for help while my father beat her and strangled her, and sometimes dragging me out of bed. and witnessing my mother try to kill herself four times and my father finally dying in 1975 with a bullet in his head. There's a little mystery out there whether he was playing Russian roulette or whether he was uh, set up and murdered, but we don't know. But in my teens, I, I followed my father's footsteps in many ways. I became a womanizer. I was violent. I was a rageaholic. And my, while my father was taking prescription drugs, 
that were uh, strong prescription drugs for depression and anxiety, I was taking street drugs. And I had one of my earliest glimpses of God was I had gone to school in Mexico and because I it was a school that accepted flunkies and um, I, it was in Mexico City and uh, Mexico had an incredible smog problem and I was smoking marijuana and tobacco and eating poorly and living poorly so every couple months we would go to the coast to get in some salt water and sunlight to heal our, our wounds and uh, we'd stay in a 50 cent a night hotel and eat cheap food but on the way down the first time as I was going through the mountains I saw people who were obviously dirt poor living in tin shacks and or grass shacks and and there was a contentment in their faces that I'd never seen before and it made me cry so moving forward a little bit I, I was, um, I got my first paper out when I was eight years old. And it was an early morning paper out, and it was so peaceful, delivering newspapers. And, and uh, it was really in, in a world that hated people like me and in, in a home where there was violence. It was really the only safe place that I, I knew of in life. And as the years went on, I got other jobs. I ran a pizza restaurant for 25 cents an hour when I was 12 years old. And I always managed to find some kind of work. And, and my work was my sanctuary. It was my safe place. I uh, got to work in a clothing store. And when I was 16, it was a great place for kids like me to work. We all had a good time. And for some reason, that organization, I don't know if they're a Christian or not, but they understood workplace culture, and the bosses were kind-hearted, and they cared about us, and we got a lot of work done, and we had a lot of fun. And so, moving forward, uh, the violence in the home continued, the violence inside me continued, the confusion inside me continued. We were living in Miami then in uh, the early 70s. I think we moved there in 69. And I was doing heavy drugs. I had a lot of girlfriends. I mean, I'm talking about LSD, heroin, marijuana. In all, I probably took 300 LSD hits. And we had a house with a swimming pool, big allowance, nice car. And I told my family, there's got to be something better. And my family said, no, you're just going through a stage this is life. And I said, well, I remember quoting the Peter and Gordon song, I don't care what they say, I won't stay in a world without love. And I left home, I moved back to Chicago, got a couple jobs up there, got fired from both of them, lived with my grandmother, got kicked out. Everybody was calling me a communist by that point. I had long hair, smoking marijuana, had crazy ideas. Basically, I was a hippie and met a couple of young hippies. One of them was a poet, and at the time I loved writing poetry. I actually started journaling in 1969, so I've been journaling about 52 years. And I got fired from my second job, and I just said, I'm done. And so I took up with Jim and John, and I started hitchhiking. We went to rock festivals, and 
just wandered around the country. We ended up in Virginia, which was their hometown. And from there I set out, I went to the Atlanta Pop Festival, which was a year after Woodstock. It was about the same size as Woodstock. And just being around kids my age who were feeling the same pain I was, it launched me into a, just a just search or die, search and seek and find or, or die like a mindset. And so I set out, I started hitchhiking around the country. I hitchhiked, I managed to get all the way to California and all the way up into Oregon. But along the way, I wandered into a home in New Mexico farming to New Mexico. And uh, I think the story is in another podcast, but I saw there what I was looking for. I spent a few days with that family and I saw a family that loved each other. And the, the father in the home told me, he stayed up late at night with me. I stayed a few days and he said, you can't find, you're not going to find love at home unless you accept God. And so I didn't want anything to do with God because of the way the so-called Christians treated the Jews and because of the corruption and meanness that was going on in the Jewish community I was in and the pain they were in. So I hitchhiked back and forth across the country and ended up back in Virginia. In 1973, I met my sweet young lady who's still the the beauty and treasure of my life, Jenna. We've been together 49 years, married 46 years. And we started traveling together and we didn't have much in common except we were both searching for something that had more substance than the world we grew up in. I grew up in a world where there was greed and fighting and, and uh, manipulation and she grew up in a world, it was a home that people loved each other but just super high achieving but there was no depth. And so we were both searching for that depth. We traveled, wandered around, uh, trying Eastern religions, transcendental meditation. And then we were living in a commune in Tennessee, uh, way back in the woods, it was a little commune. And through a series of events, wandered into a church. It was a, uh, a very strict fundamentalist church way back in, uh, in the poorest county in Tennessee. And I saw it again. I saw families that loved each other. And I heard it again. And this church was a different denomination, but I heard it again, that you can't have love at home unless you accept God. So through a series of, of, of events, I was alone in the woods and I met God Back in the commune, everybody else had gone home for Christmas. I was seven miles from the nearest road. I'd been there for a couple of days alone, and I met God, and I invited him into my life. At that point, it seemed like there was a blockage that not only God, but that you can't have God unless you accept Jesus. And it took about a minute. I got down on my knees, and I just said, God, I'm tired. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of running from my father and the more I run from him the more I like him I'm becoming and if, if Jesus is the only way to you then I'll accept Jesus and I can't deny that what happened there in 1974 that's almost 50 years ago that that was still the moment that changed everything in my life 
So came back, came back out, and um, I'm going to just skip a lot of the details, but we, uh, Jen and I ended up back in that community and got married, and it wasn't long after that when we discovered that the church was going through a big split. Well, earlier, I had started woodworking. I had started making porch swings in a neighbor's pig pen. It's one of the church people out of walnut, cherry, and cedar. And I made $20 a piece for those porch swings. And that included varnish and hardware and even hanging it. And again, woodworking, or my workplace was my sanctuary. That's where I came to know God. Like some people come to know God in church, some in the woods, some through literature, some through music. I came to know God through my workplace. That's where I engage God the most. So we got married. We lived in a 24 by 24 house. It was $15 a month rent. Wood heat, wood cook, wood cook stove. Couldn't afford groceries. And in my young foolishness, I made half the house my wood shop. And I had a big sander. We, we, I made wooden trucks with roller skate wheels. My wife painted art on them. I, uh, we made baby cradles and she made a little quilt. We made uh, uh, bird houses with multiple apartment bird houses. And I got $10 for the tr- wooden truck so a child could ride on it, $100 for the baby cradle. That's where we had three of our children born. And then my wife had serious health problems. And so somebody loaned me some money to build a house. And I built it out of myself with the help of some church people out of used building materials. And, and again, again, I'm going to skip over details and just give you another bullet point. Ended up uh, one night, well, my wife, our, our place was a mess and I had tried so many different things. And my wife told me one day, she said, just decide what you want to do with your life and get rid of everything else. And we had all kinds of stuff, tractors, we had a tractor. I mean, cheap stuff, wood piles, block piles, junk, trash. It was the kind of place you'd call the housing authority on. So I spent a couple of weeks getting rid of stuff. And I'd been building a house for our UPS driver. And I asked him if I could build his cabinets from my house. Before then, I used to build cabinets right in the house. I'd taken a woodworking class in high school. And the night I started woodworking, I started to cry because I knew this is what I wanted to do with my life. I just believed this is my calling. So working out of the basement for a couple of years, and then I would just cry. Every, every cabinet I built was a journey. I built some cabinets under a thousand watt operating room light that a hospital had given me. And it, and it was a journey and we didn't need a lot of money because we were raising our own food and living poor in, in poverty, living cheaply. But the whole journey was a sanctuary. And so many times I'd run into a situation that I didn't know what I was doing. I had never worked in another person's shop. I had a man who was actually coaching me over the phone at the time and and I get down on my face so many times and I'd say, God, I don't know how to do this. You do. And every time somehow God came through for me.
we ended up building a shop out of from we had taken down a mechanic shop and that a car dealer owned and we ended up we i i took the cement blocks up to my house and there were some big steel trusses and uh some front doors um, an overhead door two front doors and i spent weeks cleaning those cement blocks my hands were bleeding and through a series of miracles we had that shop built and and with no debt and right around that time we got an opportunity to work for a company in Chattanooga that was it was actually owned by a, a man who became the mayor of Chattanooga later and a US senator and they were just starting to do work for Walmart and so we started doing uh, Walmart cabinets and it was amazing I, I tell you I, I just so many times we didn't have cell phones then but so many times in those early years whenever the phone rang I thought they're calling me to tell me they finally realized they didn't know what I was doing and they're sorry and they're going to get someone else. But they never did. And it was a great way for my, my boys to work together. By that time, we had nine children. We had five sons and four daughters. And over all the years, we, we ended up building cabinets for over 800 Walmarts, between eight and 900 Walmarts. So... As the church was going through its split and there was so much fighting in the church and there was so much dysfunction and families were dividing and I was disillusioned. My father's death uh, happened around then and the church taught me not to, that emotions were part of my sinful nature and not to have them. And so I, I just expressed my, myself through my woodworking. That's where I came to know God. So moving forward, that was back in the late 70s. We moved to, to Kentucky, and then we, we moved to um, southern Missouri and had a shop down there. And then after 26 years, we left that denomination we were in. It just, it just wasn't getting anywhere. And at the time, I thought I was the problem, and I just... My wife and I both just felt like God was taking us somewhere else. So we we left that, and and then we had found a, a really nice church up in the Rolla, Missouri area that was uh, seemed to be more accepting and, and more of a fit for us. So they brought a lot of healing into our lives, and we, we felt like it was time to move. And we had accumulated some money from some inheritance money, and some money that we had made from woodworking. And so we ended up in, in St. James, Missouri. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit how that happened. I was up here searching. We wanted to be part of the church, and I was up here searching. And I had looked at seven or eight sites, and I just couldn't find rest. And I wondered, how could this be that an important a decision this important would be based on me finding peace? And... Um, I would, I was I'd stay in a cheap motel room at night sometimes because it was 70 miles from our house. And, and so many nights I'd go to bed, I'd just cry myself to sleep because I just didn't know. I, I just wasn't getting a yes from God. And then people kept saying, well, go to St. James. They're giving away free land. And I didn't listen to them. I just said, there's no such thing as free land. 
And but then enough people told me that one night I called the mayor of St. James and we talked for a while. I said, I heard you giving away free land. He said, no, it's not really free. You have to come before the board and of course, and present a business plan. Of course, I didn't even know what a business plan was and I didn't want to come before a board. But anyways, the last thing he said before he hung up was, Look, we just want St. James to be a safe place for our children and grandchildren to come to work. And that just overwhelmed me. So I told my wife that, and we both teared up, and we met, came up. I, I put together my best shot at what a business plan was. To this day, I don't know what they thought of it, but I thought the best thing I could do is bring the family and just tell them that this is why I want to move here. So in the end, they, they offered us a really nice piece of land right on the interstate, and we, we started building our shop. We built a 80 by 150 shop, and I remember many nights going out there and just in the middle of the night just praying, listening to the trains go by and praying. I remember uh, kneeling down on the bare ground where the shop was to be built and praying, and, and our family joining hands and praying. Church people would come and join hands and pray that this would be a place where God would be. Well, around that time also, after we had left the other church, I was conflicted. I wanted to continue our woodworking business, but I didn't know anything about leadership or business. And so we had heard about this man named John Beckett in Ohio, who was... Um, his father had he, he was he was his father was mentoring him. He had a little manufacturing business up there, and he had been mentoring him. And his father suddenly died at age fifty, uh, and then his the shop burned, and then somebody the union tried to take over, and then he had an, a near tragedy with his daughter. And in desperation, he turned to God. Now this this was a good moral, church going man. And, and he, he just was like a pioneer. He said, I don't know if you can help me run my business, but I'm going to find out. And so he turned to God, and, and, and God, he just permeated that workplace with God. He, he actually, it was more than just praying and reading the Bible, but actually searching through the Bible for how to run a business from every point of view. You know, the preachers say the Bible has all the answers. But then a lot of times when you ask them, well, what does the Bible say about this? And they'll say it doesn't say anything. But he was on this journey to say, to believe that it really does say something about every aspect of business. And so I told my family, I said, if we continue our business, the only way I would do it is just, is just to see if God would help us. We didn't know what we were doing. And we just started praying. We started reading the Bible. That was in 2004, and between 2004 and 2013, we had lots of ups and downs. One thing I knew, I had been, one time I tallied up that I had been fired from at least seven jobs. And I had failed in a couple of businesses. And so I... Uh, I, I, I for two reasons, I started hiring people that nobody wanted. One is I didn't think anybody would work for me. And two is I knew that Jesus 
would, would be pleased if I hired people that had no hope, that couldn't find work anywhere else. So I just felt like I was hiring people like me. And it was interesting. It was rough in the early days, and there were some rough people, but uh, we, we prayed, and we made it through. Anyways, fast-forwarding to 2013, we had a, a really good business coach who was working for us. He ended up working almost 10 years. Well, he started with us in 2012. And he, one day he said, Philip, why don't you see if your management team wants to be a faith-based company? And so I did some homework and I put together a slideshow. I still had that slideshow today. And, and I, I showed them all these businesses that had started by people, men and women who were had used the Bible to start the business, like Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A and Herman Miller, Interstate Batteries. Um, going back, there was Quaker, Hershey. Um, even America, to some degree, was founded on people who were using the Bible in prayer. And even the Ivy League schools like Harvard and Yale and Princeton were Bible colleges at first, and that really surprised me. So I presented it to them, and... And they said, I went around the room and I said, I, I don't know, what, what do you think? And they said, well, it looks like it'll work. Let's try it. So we, we started in Proverbs. That's what they recommend when you, when you launch a faith-based business. It's, it's not, um, there's nothing controversial about Proverbs. It's just really practical. And it's easy to understand. Um, I had also read a book about a man who named Stephen Scott who had failed a number of times, and his friend Gary Smalley told him that too. He said, you read the Proverbs chapter for the day, like today's July 4th, so you read Proverbs 4 and study it and apply it, and you see what happens. And so he started doing that, and his life turned around. So we said, well, let's just try Proverbs and see what happens. And so we started doing that, and, and each day we would, first of all, somebody was assigned to do a devotional from the chapter, Proverb chapter for the day, and we rotated that. And then we just started digging into Proverbs. So every chance we got, we'd be reading Proverbs and praying. And it was an incredible shift. It was almost like as profound as the shift when I gave my life to Jesus back in 74, because the first thing we experienced is that we experienced like a, um, it was like standing around a campfire every day. Just this, this feeling that God was in charge and that we were rallying around a common person or a common cause. And I mean, that might have been a coincidence because anytime you rally a business around a common vision or mission, it's going to succeed. So, but then, then we, some other, phenomena started happening is we would read Proverbs chapters, verses in Proverbs that actually were applicable, like Proverbs 21.5, good planning and hard work leads to prosperity. And around that time, I was learning how to, how to create business plans. And we would just, everything we did before we worked it, we would plan it. And it was amazing how successful we were by planning our work before we worked it. Uh, Proverbs 22.1, a good reputation is better than 
great riches. And that was what actually one of the verses that Truett Cathy used to build Chick-fil-A. And uh, whenever you have, like Abraham, in his life, he's been one of my mentors. That Whenever he had a choice between integrity and advantage, he always chose integrity. With Lot and with the king of Sodom and with the people of the land. And um, if you don't know those stories, you can read them. I'm not going to go into them now, but uh, Proverbs 12, 27 says the slothful man doesn't uh, use everything he takes in, he, in hunting, but the diligent make use of everything. And that verse is just so applicable. So many times when you don't know what to do, a lot of times just work with the people and resources you have and you'll be surprised. And so we, we built this, we were building this business uh, we went into debt for a little while. I think I'd gotten some bad business advice, but uh, for most of my career, we've not had any debt in what we did. And, and so we just learned to make use with what we had and who we had. And, and, and so we found more and more proverbs that worked. And sometimes it would be amazing that we'd be facing a problem today and the proverb chapter for today met with what we uh, what we needed. Well, the the next thing that happened is we were we were, like I said we were hiring people like me. So these people would come and they were traumatized. You know, the people who had been in abusive homes, abusive workplaces, people who had been drug addicts, who had been felons. Some of them just got out of prison the day before, or some of them the judge told them if you don't find a job you're going to prison. So these were really troubled people. And they come, and, and within a few weeks, they'd be walking around smiling and happy and relaxed. And, and then they just, a lot of them would stay. And they just, they felt the love. They just felt the presence of God and the love. And it wasn't long before we just, without saying a word, we just wandered away from Proverbs and just started going into the whole Bible. Originally, we said it's only Proverbs and only business. And nobody said a word, and we just got into the whole Bible and anything. So we had developed like this 24-hour rule that uh, that comes from Matthew 18, and um, I think in Ephesians, where Matthew 18 says, if you have a problem with your brother, go to him privately. And in Ephesians, it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So we said within 24 hours, if you have a problem with somebody, you need to re resolve it privately and respectfully. Don't go to anybody else. And so people knew that they were safe. They knew that they weren't going to be gossiped about. And so these, these, these tough, troubled people started turning into lambs and, and just hardworking people. Just They had a strong work ethic. The, the, the not, another miracle we experienced was just um, we had opportunities. We would just like run into these opportunities just in our in searching you know, we had a, a numerous times when we almost lost the business or downturns. And we just started experiencing these, these opportunities, like meeting somebody on an airplane for five minutes, and it ended up turning into a, a multi-million dollar opportunity relationship. We started getting people coming from other industries who heard about us, who had been very successful, like one man had been managing hobby lobbies and Sam's clubs, and he came to us and just wanted to be part of what we were doing. And, and we could only offer him half of what he'd been making, but he said, uh, I'll take it. He said, I want to be part of what's going on here. 
another man had been uh, a manager at, at Walmart for 27, 28 years, and he came to work for us as a laborer. He just got tired of the the backbiting and, and the, the drama that was going on. And so, and he just he came as, as, at our minimum wage, which was probably 10 or 11 an hour back then. And, and so all these things, and then, and then, and then the next thing was we actually started coming to know God in new ways. Like we were knowing more than just the church God of, of, that, that regulated our character and that, that made us feel peace and, and assured us of our forgiveness and salvation. But we actually were finding practical everyday ways to apply the Bible and um, because of this, because it was an everyday way of life, people in our workplace started coming to Jesus. They, they saw it lived out. They saw the Bible lived out, and they wanted, they wanted it because uh, many of them had been hurt in churches. Uh, they'd been hurt in families. They'd been hurt by religion. But when they just saw this lived out every day in a workplace, they wanted it. Three of the workers actually asked me to baptize them. But in all, I don't know how many were baptized, but I know there were, at least that I knew of, at least 13 that had been baptized as a direct or at least an indirect result of working in a workplace where they saw the Bible and prayer actually lived out. So we never really forced this in anybody. It's just, there. there's two places where Christianity exists. One is in in your in your environment in the where it can exist and the other one is in your heart and so we tried to create an environment where christianity was being lived out we always told the truth to our customers and employees uh, we were generous we practiced servant leadership so and we just discovered endless depths in the bible and in our business and so i want to back up uh the crime rate crates came down i became friends with the chief of police because it's a small town 3900 people but the crime rates started to drop because people who had formerly been in criminals and troublemakers were doing something meaningful and then um so so let me let me back up to my motivation for doing this i, I never really cared about money and i don't know i probably went through a stage when i was a workaholic but I, I had turned to God in the workplace because the workplace was the only safe place I had ever known. So it was my sanctuary. And when we came to the area and, and the church we were part of, it actually fell. It, it, it collapsed because of some bad decisions that were going on in, in the midst. Our, our workplace became the only church we knew. We, we, I was determined to apply the Bible to my life, whether I was in a church or not. And so as the CEO, I was applying the Bible to the workplace. So I, I, wasn't, I didn't have an aspiration to be rich. The, the only real aspiration I ever had was not to be in debt. I never had an aspiration to have power over people, to be famous. Um, but it was it just, I, I was so desperate to succeed because my workplace was the only sanctuary I'd ever known. And so... I turned the only place that I knew to turn, and that was to God. And I didn't even know if God would help me. I didn't even know if there was a God that would help me some days. So I'm, I'm still a curious skeptic in many ways. Uh, 
But then the, the, probably the final miracle that we discovered was that people, uh, families started getting better. We discovered that when you have a workplace where people feel safe and, and where they feel loved and cared for, and when we're doing everything we can to bring out the best in them, they go home with that. I remember hearing that from a man named Bob Chapman, who, who uh, he, he wrote People-Centric Workplace, I think is the name of the book. And he said that he knows that he can destroy a marriage simply by making the workplace a difficult place, just by making people miserable at work. So we did everything we could to make sure that people went home feeling satisfied. Now, did they have to have a strong work ethic? Yes, they did. Did they have to turn out good work? They did. They had to get along with people. But the thing that we discovered with the Bible, uh, so, so people started getting better in their families. They would get out of debt. They would quit using tobacco. If they were on any medications, they would get off. And marriages started getting better. And yeah, we didn't have a 100% success rate. Uh, and then there were a lot of close, deep friendships that developed that, are, that still exist today. So I want to shift gears and I want to talk about what is the, the, the real importance and the simplicity of having a God-centered workplace. So the difference between a God-centered workplace and other like churches and, and families is, first of all, people are leaving the churches in droves. There, there's so much corruption in the church right now, and people don't know which church to trust. I'm fortunately in a good church. It hasn't always been that way, and it may not be that. It may not last that way. But I've been in a good church for about seven years now. But uh, probably most of you who are listening, many of you who are listening, don't know where to find a healthy church. And many of you who are listening have a lot of pain in your family right now. But the, the thing about the workplace is that you can take a biblical principle, most biblical principles, not all, but most, and you can actually enforce them. Like you can't enforce people to read the Bible, and you can't enforce people to pray, but you can enforce uh, things like respect and treating others the way you want to be treated and making the customer king and total honesty, uh, doing everything with excellence. Loving and respecting your customers, your vendors, even your bad customers and bad vendors, your employees, even the ones that you have to fire, and even your competitors, doing everything with honor, loving the family of your families of your employees, giving opportunities to those who have no opportunities, generosity, uh, safety, creating a safe workplace that's that's safety free from accidents. At one point, we had gone over 1,100 days without any accidents, resolving conflicts immediately, and even creating systems around how to create excellence and bring out the best in each other, and guarding the company's reputation, avoiding debt, good planning, a strong work ethic. So all of those things are, are biblical. I, I could reference you to Bible verses for every one of those and you can actually enforce that. You can hire, fire, reward around all those things. And it's just good for business. So we, we were creating a sample or almost like a laboratory of what it was like for adults to work in a Bible, 
a Bible-obeying environment. And it was more than just, um, like I said, more than just character, like good character. But it was good planning. It was good money management. It was good reputation. It was excellence in everything we did. We are supposed to be, if we're, if we're a follower of God, um, we're supposed to be faithful in every area of life. And yet so many people compartmentalize their faithfulness to certain parts of their lives. But what if we could be faithful in every area of our life? Like in, in the Kings, there's plenty of stories in the Kings about a king would clean up the mess in Israel, but he might leave a few areas that, that weren't cleaned up where there's some idols. But what if we could, in every single area of our life, walk with God in obedience? In our church life, our work life, our sex life, the way we manage money, the way we manage our bodies, our appetites. What if we could do that in every area of our life? So right now we're focusing on the workplace. And I, I believe that the American workplace and maybe the world's workplace could be the one of the last frontiers, uh, mission fields, where people can actually see what it's like to live the Bible. Because in homes, homes are a mess. I know very few people who have good, strong marriages and good, strong families and good, strong relationships with father-son relationships. It's, and it's becoming less. I know so many friends who are have married 30, 40 years who are divorcing right now. And so the workplace could be, maybe, I don't know, but it could be America's one of America's last hopes uh, to, to see what Christianity really looks like. Well, that's an uh, amazing recap, and man, there's a lot there. <clears throat> For those of you that have listened to the podcast before, there are some other episodes where, Phil, uh, you kind of dive a little bit deeper into some of the stories, and they're really amazing stories. Um, one of the questions that kind of pops up when we talk about you know, implementing the Bible and prayer into the workplace and becoming a faith-based organization is, you know, are there legal ramifications? I know that you said in the past that you, you never really shoved this down anybody's throat. Um, and when someone comes to work for you, uh, they, they obviously understand that this is a faith-based company, but are there legal ramifications? Yeah, there definitely are. And, and, and we do, if, you know, we do have to come to a place where whatever it is that we believe in, that we're willing to go to jail for what we believe in or we're willing to lose everything for what we believe in. But I think in general, America is very, still very accepting of Christianity in the workplace, it's not, as long as it's not being forced on anybody. Sure. Which I believe is the downfall of a lot of churches, is when they force Christianity on others rather than inspiring Christianity on others. Hmm. But that, that's a different subject for a different day. But yeah, we actually got to a point in our growth where we, we felt like it was time to get an attorney. And we found a, a wonderful Christian attorney who helped us. And I talked to her recently. She's willing to help others also. Uh, one thing is that uh, when people would come to work, when they'd come for an interview, we'd let them know that, that we are a faith-based company and are, ask them if they're okay with that. So what she taught us is the more you state it up front, either in writing or in verbally, the more you state it, the, the more legal protection you have. But if you just hide it under the rug mm -hmm. and then you enforce it, then you can't. But if you actually state it, and especially if it's a uh, privately owned company, you state it, 
in writing. So we would have people sign a release that said that this is a faith-based company and any religious activities are done that are done are totally voluntary and we're not going to, to force our beliefs on you. And, and whenever, especially when there were new people, uh, whenever I was in a room, I would always get their permission. Are you okay if I pray? Are you okay if I reference the Bible? And I don't remember anybody saying no, <laughs> but I know this is, this is the Midwest. It's the Bible Belt, but in other other areas, it very likely could be, and, and just respectfully let them leave the room, but let them know that their job isn't in jeopardy. Yeah. So I, yeah, and it's something that um, I guess I, I don't want to sales pitch me. I'm going to anyways. I guess I will unashamedly sales pitch me. I know how to help people launch a faith based business uh, and do it legally and do it without blowing up their company. Well, that was going to be my next question is, you know, is there a risk of a mass exodus or, or a lot of people leaving? I mean, I would imagine as long as you're stating everything up front, it's not like you're springing or surprising them with this new information. But uh, is there a risk of a mass uh, exodus or how do you deal with that? It's rare. It's, it's pretty rare that it happens. And the way you do it is you start it with a small core leadership team. Hmm. And, and uh, I call them a campfire group. And they, they just, they meet together and they're the ones who, they believe in it. They study the Bible, starting in Proverbs, they pray and just start applying it. You don't have to announce that you're doing it. You just start it with a, from a nucleus and just apply it. And then gradually as it becomes accepted, you can start announcing it. Mm -hmm. We, we had it to where it was permeated in the whole organization and we could have open prayer. But in the beginning, no, you're not going to just stand up and say, all right, from now on, we're a faith-based company. Yeah, because I could imagine the new, you know, someone listening to this podcast that has an existing organization uh, that has been thinking about making that transition or, or implementing more biblical principles, that, that could be kind of a, a touchy subject. Like, I don't want to scare all my people away. Um, I don't want them to feel like I'm forcing something new down their throat, but also something needs to change. We need to make a shift. And uh, how do we do this in a, in a, in a way where we don't risk, run the risk of totally uh, gutting our, our organization yeah. and our workforce? Um, when you, you mentioned something about this too earlier, when you said you and your wife had sort of found yourself churchless, you didn't really have a church where you found home and it seemed like your workplace was your church. Uh, is that, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like what, what that season was like and what happened when you finally did find a church to join? Yeah, well, when I first met God in 1974, something changed in me drastically. And, and even though I went through a lot of highs and lows and was in a lot of dysfunctional churches and I, I, was, I was more messed up than I imagined I'd been, just... Uh, but going through all that, but going in and out of churches, some of them I had been, I'd been rejected from a lot of churches. Maybe it was my fault, and there were many churches that I wasn't satisfied with. But I was determined to go on being a Christian whether I was in a church or not. And so after we left that, that, that uh, denomination in southern Missouri, we, we continued on reading the Bible. We would have prayer time. 
uh, we actually continue with baptizing and washing feet and doing communion and uh, just continued to seek God as hard as we could. Uh, in the early days, I sought God whenever I was in trouble. And then ever since about 2009, I've, I've just started seeking God, whether I was in trouble or not, with everything in me. But I, it all started with, uh, uh, so we, I, I just was determined to live Christianity regardless of whether I was in a church. And so we were applying it at work, but our, Sunday, our, our weekends were very, very lonely. And yeah, we would watch. There was a, there's a church in Atlanta, one in Chicago. We would watch them online, but we were very lonely. And one day, Justin, my plant manager, came up to me. He said, "You and your wife are lonely on weekends." He said, "What? What are your hobbies?" And I said, "Well, I write." He said, "Well, you won't meet many people there." I said, "Well, I like to play music." And he said, "Well, you're going to drink a lot of beer." And around here. I haven't really found very many opportunities to play music with others unless you're already in a band. And there were some people who had jam sessions, but yeah, they drank a lot of beer and they smoked and, and, uh, it just wasn't the environment I wanted to be in. So that Sunday I told my wife, I said, you know what, let's try again, try a church again. But this time let, let's put some rules on why we're going. Cause I came to realize that, I had been hurt in a lot of churches, but maybe it wasn't all the church's fault. Maybe it was me that I had gone to church for the wrong reasons. Hmm. And so I said, what can I do to change me? And so we came up with three reasons for why we were going to church. One was to hear from God. One was to uh, uh, get get some corporate worship. And, and the other was to have a little social life. And we just were going to put those blinders on and we're going to only go for that reason. So the first time we went, we experienced that. And then we kept coming back and uh, befriended. I, I wanted to befriend the leaders, so I befriended the senior pastor and really, really loved the man. He's since retired. And then we put a, a, a calendar, a, a mark on our calendar, eight months from when we started attending. And, and uh, we said, on that day, we're either going to join, we're going to extend the calendar, or we're going to stop going. Well, we decided to join. When I met with the pastor and I told him we're going to join, he said, you're joining the church, you can expect pain. I said, and I said, what kind of pain are you going to experience in a church? Churches are for healing. And, and you know, my, you, running a workplace that's Christ-centered, that's painful. <laughs> you know, you, you're up against economics. You're up against how do you manage money. You're up against uh, people who struggle, people who put up resistance, and you've got to solve problems quickly to stay uh, in time with the market. And I thought, what pain? And he didn't say a word. Well, shortly after that, we joined a small group, and there was some dysfunction in the group. And the leader of the group, I just thought, okay, well, let's just get together and resolve this thing because we had had a 24-hour rule, and I'd never seen a conflict not get resolved. And so he refused to meet. And this went on and on and on. And, and then finally we met with one of the senior pastors and we got it resolved. At least we, we broke the, you might say we broke the stranglehold we had on each other and we forgave each other and went our ways. And that's when it dawned on me, 
that you, you can't enforce Christian behavior in a church hmm. like you can in a workplace. Wow. But it's been a wonderful experience going to a church where I'm not in charge mm-hmm. and, and, and seeing people in church who are absolutely getting on my nerves and, and coming next Sunday wishing they wouldn't come anymore. <laughs> and they still keep coming. And then one day, um, through, just through the work of God, one day I'm friends with them. Yeah. And I'm sure they, some of those people experience the same thing with me. <laughs> so, so that was our experience with church. It's funny too, because you said, you know, you can't enforce Christian behavior in the church. It's such a weird sounding statement. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's true. And I think in the workplace, you're even, you know, you're talking about enforcing Christian behavior. You're not, you're not enforcing it in a dogmatic way. You're more saying, this is what the Bible says, how we sh- this is how the Bible lines out how we should be behaving. And so if we want to uh, grow and succeed as a company, and we've already determined that we're going to be a faith-based company, then these are the ways that we need to behave. So you're not enforcing it in the sense of saying, you have to act like a Christian. You're saying, no. this is the way God lined it out. This is the way that God ordered and designed for us to behave and interact with each other. And so we're going to follow that. We're going to obey that that setup, that structure. Um, and it's going to continue. We either are going to submit to it as the authority or we're not going to. And as a leader of an organization, you can enforce that. Whereas in the church or even in your family, like I can't force my kids to follow Christ. I can't force my wife to follow mm-hmm. Christ. Uh, I can lead by example and I can, I can choose to, you know, read the word for myself and uh, be counseled by, you know, biblical pastors and, and leaders, other people that, that are also committed to following Christ um, and allow my, it's kind of like you said, with your leadership team, you don't go to the whole company and say, all right, guys, today's the day that we're changing everything. And here's now how we're going to behave. You yeah, go to line up and you're going to get line up and you're going <laughs> to baptize, <Yeah>. baptize everybody. <laughs> Yeah, instead of doing that, you just thank, can go. Thank to your- God, it's not the Old Testament where we have to <laughs> circumcise everybody. That's right. Yeah, but yeah, you go to your leadership team and say, "All right, if if you were all on the same page that this is the direction we're going with this this organization, then let's let's start with us and let let the Word of God right. do the transforming work in our personal lives and in ourselves, and let that be the you know it, it's a natural transformation. You know, it's a it's a yeah. But just back up a little bit, because you don't even need to say this is what God says or the Bible says, mm-hmm. because we honestly were, were starting to discover that this is the best way to run a business. Sure, yeah. And it just, you know, in, in, in it, when you're under a crunch, sometimes you want to lie or take advantage of a customer. Mm-hmm. But, and that's where we go, okay, but this is really the best way to run a business. Right. The interesting thing about that statement, you don't, is that it, it was evident to the world that this is the best way to run a business. And, you know, it's evidenced by, I, I know you won a lot of awards, right? You, like you were recognized by many uh, different organizations for running a fantastic organization. Um, there was what, there was Forbes. What were some of the awards that you guys won? Yeah. So I was the small business person of the year for Missouri. I got to go to Washington, D.C. and Mm-hmm. Then they gave me a Lifetime Achievement Award and put me in the Hall of Fame in St. Louis. And <laughs> and then I was in Forbes magazine for our, biz, our company culture. I got invited into a Forbes small giants community. 
And we were in the news a lot. We woodworking, uh, what was it? Uh, there was a woodworking news magazine that featured us on the front page. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of recognition for our culture. Well, and not just not just the recognition, but even the like the 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 contracts, like the the companies that you were working for, you I mean they were they weren't small contracts. Like you you kept getting the more business you got, you kept getting more and and the quality of the the business. Good customers kept coming back, right? We were able to to just you might say climb the ladder into better and better customers. Mm-hmm. because we were earning the right to, to really good companies. So, yeah, we were getting multi-million dollar contracts all around the country. Mm-hmm. And we were attracting uh, the judges. The, uh, one, one, one of the highlights was that I, I noticed that a lot of the guys didn't drive cars or didn't have their license. So we put together a program to help them get cars. Mm. And we, we had dealers who said they would give them a good deal. We had a bank who said they'd give them a good interest rate. Insurance broker who said they'd find them some good insurance. Uh, the big one was when we met with the local prosecutor and he said, yeah, if you have employees that are in good standing in your company and they're making a good faith effort to, to get their lives straightened up, we'll, we'll do what we can to show them leniency on their on their, uh, their driving infractions. So they got fines reduced. They got, um, they got, well, I don't know what it's called, but they got things waived so they can get their license and drive legally. So it was, the reputation was, was gaining. Yeah. It was working in our favor. Yeah. It's transforming, not just your, the spiritual lives of the people in your organization, but their, you know, economical and, and domestic lives are, transformed obviously when you go to work you expect hopefully you make a decent enough living to pay your bills you don't necessarily expect that the place you go to work is going to also be a place that helps you to kind of get your life in order and you know get things get things you know maybe you have a checkered pass at the law and if i go to work here i imagine you probably had a line of people trying to get jobs at at your company because of that yeah quite a bit and and, and we tell people look we don't care what you've done just uh, just draw a line on it, hmm. and like when they came out of prison, we never asked them what they what they did. Of course, we could have easily looked it up, hmm. but we were more concerned. We just said, just draw a hard line and don't cross it. Hmm. And we were we were more concerned about helping them become healthy. Yeah, I mean, prison is very traumatic, mm-hmm. and the same thing with their drug past. We were more concerned with giving them a life. For for some of them, it was a second chance, and for some, it was a first chance. Mm-hmm. For some, it was a fifth chance. Mm-hmm. But we were more concerned with helping people have a better life regardless of what they had done. So if you're a business leader or a leader of an organization and this is sparking any sort of, or, or something's turning on inside of you, something's kind of lighting up and you're like, man, I, I, I want to do that. Uh, Phil, I know you, you've got all the papers, all the, all the presentations, you've got You've got an outline. You know, you know how to help people do this and implement this. And uh, I know that this is really the inception of this Healthy Leaders organization was it, uh, we've got the story. We've got the experience. We've got the documentation. We've got the system. Now we just need the people that, that have a desire to do this. And your organization may be very small. I know, Phil, you're working with some organizations that are very small, just a handful of people. 
and helping them to make, you know, bring Christ into the workplace, make their workplace a Christ-centered uh, biblical workplace. Um, have you seen any sort of transformations or any sort of like uh, stories already kind of in the few groups that you've been working with? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I've got two small businesses up in Rhode Island, and I've got one larger business in, in Pennsylvania. And uh, some of them, uh, yeah, they just keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, two, two things I can do is I can show people how to bring, create a Christ-centered or biblically-centered workplace. And the other one is how to take a complex problem and lay it out and, and create a solution for that problem and, and actually draw a map that tells you what to do day by day to get to that hmm. solution. But uh, one, a really great one right now is a, uh, a, dr- a 90-day drug and alcohol rehab in St. Louis. And uh, this man has run this, this place for 28 years just, just by sheer brute faith. He's a former addict himself. His face is all scarred up from his former life. And, and, uh, and so I met with them, and I, I had them extract what is the real need here that is being met. It's in, it's in one of the tougher neighborhoods in St. Louis. And, and what, what we got down to is God showed us that uh, most, most of these men never had a father, or if they did have a father, he was abusive. And so we're, we're forming this whole program called Every Man Needs a Father and Every Father Wants a Son. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna weave that into the entire organization. Hmm. Wow. So finding, this, finding the need, I mean, the, this, and this, uh, all of this kind of comes through prayer and reading the word and, and talking, you know, having community with, like you have relationship with these people. You're not just flying in for a day to like hear the big problem and then bring your magical solution to the problem, but you're actually engaging with them. Yeah, we're working with uh, uh, a pastor in in Honduras. It's a little town of 100,000 people, 50% unemployment. And the only real careers people can go into is either law enforcement or drug cartels. And he's he's discovered that the best people to reach is is the uh, the high school students. So I was actually down there, and I put together a one day workshop for high school students. And so I'm helping him put together a whole program, entrepreneurship program for high school students. So if someone was you know in a position where they were like, yeah, I need I need some help, and I want Phil to come help me. Uh, do this, how, how do you start? Like, what's your process? I we would start with a 15 minute conversation. Hmm. You know, I, I'm not Jesus <laughs> and, and I know there's other people doing this and um, it's, it's not a matter of who does it better. It's a matter of who's going to be a best fit for you. So uh, we would just meet and talk and, and see if this is, this looks, relationship looks like it's going to be a good fit. So go to healthy-leaders.org and there's a contact form on the website and you can reach out. Uh, I believe we're even going to have a uh, link where someone could just schedule a a Zoom call uh, with you on the website. Um, But if you are interested in talking with Phil and finding out if, you know, is is Phil going to be the best fit for me, uh, go to the website, 
book a call and find out. And you might find out it's not a good fit and that's all right too. So in kind of closing, I think this is a good good place to sort of wrap it up. But uh, ultimately, I, I guess your heart and desire for the Healthy Leaders Organization, I mean, I know that you've done a lot of stuff in business over the years. I know that you're you're not at a point where you're thinking, man, I, I need to s- figure out what I want to do with my life. I need to start a new career. <laughs> so you're not, you're not doing this to, uh, to make uh, millions of dollars and, uh, you know, your second phase career. You're really doing this out of a, you know, the passion and, and, and desire of your heart. Uh, so if, if you could communicate like one thing to the people listening to this podcast about this whole idea, what would that be? Well, I think it was 2015 when we were facing a really difficult problem in our company. And it was just a a, a very deep systemic problem in our company. And a man came out and he was showing us how to solve this problem. And I suddenly realized that why should I, whenever I face a problem, why should I agonize before God and, 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 and ring my ring my brain and ring my heart and my soul and get in the Bible, read books, desperately do whatever to um, to solve the problem when there's people who have already crossed the mountains I'm facing. So my recommendation to anybody who's struggling and I, and I know um, not everybody has the wisdom to start their company as a faith-based company. Most, most are like in trouble. They're about to lose their company or lose their minds. And they, they need something and they're, they're going, maybe I should try God. <laughs> so, and it is, it's just, it's just try it. it, it it's, nobody's going to force it on you. Just try God's way. Um, but I, I just would highly recommend uh, that that was the day when I, I realized that there are people who have crossed the mountains that I'm facing and that I need just to start finding more mountain guides rather than to try to cross the mountains alone. Hmm. So I recommend in closing, I highly recommend that whatever you're facing is, is find a mountain guide. And I don't mean a mountain guide to somebody who's been through some kind of training and, and he's got a diploma, but it's somebody who actually has been across the mountain that you're facing who can guide you. Usually that's going to be an older person and many times they're going to charge you very little because they just want to give back and help people prevent the pain that they went through. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. Thank you guys for listening to this uh, episode. And again, there is a lot of other episodes that dive deeper into some of these uh, topics. I know we've got the the Foundation Series, which talks a lot about the inception of Cone Woodworking and kind of the transition from... Uh, the early years into kind of what we're doing now. Uh, there's also a lot of uh, other episodes, what we call other forms of currency. Uh, other forms of currency is really an amazing series and it's a progressive series that we uh, are continually adding new, new content to that series um, every day. And there's a lot of really amazing, rich uh, content there that can help you maybe answer or solve some problems uh, that you've got. But ultimately, the best place to start would be just to be curious, you know, just experimentation. I think that's been, that's been the most consistent thing through the years is 
well, something needs to change and let's try this. And if it works, then let's keep trying it until it doesn't work anymore and then figure out why it doesn't work. And yeah, uh, that, well, that's listen, a, listen to some of the podcasts and see yeah. if, if that, if that stimulates your interest in me yep. working with you. Yep. Great. Well, thank you guys for, again for listening to the uh, Healthy Leaders podcast and we will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Leaders Podcast as we journey together toward healthy biblical leadership. If you're facing a particular challenge in your organization, please visit healthy-leaders.org. We would love to help you lead your organization to health. Thank you.